Is it time for a mind shift? If you don't know what that means, then join your host, Dr. Clint Haycock, a former evangelical Christian pastor and Bible college teacher of over 20 years, along the journey of deconstruction and reconstruction of faith, life, religion, and spirituality. speaking today with Rebecca Drumsta, author, life coach, and consultant. She writes on the Journey to Truth website. You can find that at RebeccaDrumsta.com. So welcome, Rebecca, to MindShift Podcast. Thank you for having me. I like what you said on your blog. You say, I am a survivor of spiritual abuse, which resulted in religious trauma. Also, like you say, your mission is... I'm just reading off your website. You say, to support those who are recovering from church hurt, religious high-demand group, or spiritually abusive environments. Also, to raise awareness and educate the public of the dangers, warning signs, and controlling behaviors exhibited by cults, churches, leaders, and organizations. And when I read that, I thought, Mm -hmm. oh, we've got a lot in common. (laughs) We've got a lot we can talk about. There you go. (laughs) Yeah, so I come out of evangelicalism, fundamentalist Christianity. It sounds like you come out of a similar high control sort of undue influence group background, given your work as a life coach and consultant. Can you maybe give us a brief kind of overview of your life story? How did you get to be a consultant and why are you doing some work on religious trauma syndrome? Well, the quick one-liner would be um, four different religious cults impacted the foundation of my life. That would be before the time I was married, when I was still in my very early 20s. And I began to question things. Like stuff just seemed off when I was a child, but questioning is not okay within these type of constructs. And my family went, and this is what I, I've seen a pattern now, from one abusive, controlling church where the pastor of this church would literally make you choose a side and... If you chose that side, you had to leave and could never come back and no one was to talk to you anymore. That's just one example of things that would happen. And so my family realized that that was not a healthy environment and it was within a specific denomination, but I believe it was more that pastor himself who made that church into a very cult, follow Mm. me over following Christ, follow me over following anything else. And so, but my family went from that church into a new denomination, which was independent fundamental Baptist. Oh boy. Yeah. Steven (laughs) Anderson and all those guys. And so we went straight into, and into that where it was a very highly influenced by Jack Hiles. The pastor had attended the college and Jack Hiles and All of those, the big names, whether it's David Gibbs and all of those names were in our church on a regular basis, um, very connected even with my family. And so we went from all these different things, looking for health, looking for truth as a family that also led us into a homeschool organization called IBLP or the Institute Basic Life Principles, which was run by by Bill Gothard. Yep. That's where our paths intersect for sure. Although I wasn't part of the IBLP homeschooling, I was Mm -hmm. raised in the, what was then the Institute and basic youth conflicts back in the seventies and eighties. So we've got Bill Gothard in common for sure. There you go. And my family was like the second, third wave that joined. It was in the mid eighties. And so IBLP, I 
IBL, IL, <laughs> the Y, the youth conflict. IBYC, was, it was called when we were kids, but yeah, it's IBLP now. Okay. So it had been around for what, 10 years or so by the time my family joined mm-hmm. up. So you have a cult like denomination, cult denomination, as well as a cult organization that were the core of my childhood and of my upbringing. Like I said, I always would have questions off and on here and there where I would see inconsistencies, but you're not allowed to question or else that's rebellion and that's from Satan. And um, so fast forwarding many, many years, I'm on the mission field and I'm in India and there I begin to see how, wait a second, I, I lived in India for six months at one point and I saw that women there could, the good Christian women could show their bellies with wearing their saris and everything, but how I was raised, you don't do that. You only show your stomach or your back to your husband someday, but ankles in India were considered bad. You can't show your ankles. So my sari had to cover my ankles, but my whole stomach and back could be exposed. And so that's just one of the things that started opening my eyes to wait a second. These people are quote unquote, just as good a Christian as we are, but yet their rules are flip-flopped and so many things there were opposite even interactions between unmarried men and women how what was expected in my culture was opposite in India and that is what really started solidifying some of those questions for me I would see people walking barefoot a couple of miles to get to church and maybe they had had breakfast and before the church doors are open they're already outside crying and singing and worshiping and on their knees and hands in the air and They've had drums in their music and we weren't allowed to have drums oh, in yeah. our music that called up evil, sensual. Demonic sin- spirits. Yes, all of it. That's right. So, and I'm a yeah. drummer, so I've heard all those stories too. So, you know, no syncopation. Oh, I know. No I'm the one who's doing it. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> but uh, so that's what began that when um, I was late, late high school, early college age and that's what started making me go, wait a second, this doesn't make sense. To the point when I got home from India in my IFB church, sitting next to my dad, the first service back, I said, dad, this church is dead. And he goes, no, 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 no. That's like post-traumatic something, culture shock, you know, God-fearing, Bible-believing. This is a good church. It's just a different culture. It'll just take you time. It's fine. These are good people here. Right. So but he's doubling down. But something within me knew that this is off. This is just off. So that's how it began for me. It took a few more years for me to get to the tipping point, but that's how it all started. Right. So you come out of Gothard stuff, IBL or Institute and Basic Life Principles. We got to get it right. Uh, Independent Fundamentalist Baptist. I mean, you've had Mm -hmm. some very high controlling groups. So you were actually homeschooled in the IBLP stuff? So how did that affect you? Because I've talked to other people who came out of Gothardism and I Mm -hmm. I consider it, I was raised in a cult, even though, as I say, I wasn't homeschooled. Mm -hmm. It was very much a cult, the purity culture and the whole umbrella of authority. That really, I I wouldn't say it destroyed my parents' marriage because they stayed together, Mm -hmm. but uh, relationally it did because my mom was basically forced to submit under the quote umbrella of my dad's authority. And he was a very passive person. She was yes. actually much more of a strong personality and it did yes. not work, but yet she was forced to knuckle under and she was absolutely miserable. And I think he was too, 
because mm-hmm. he didn't want to be in that role. So neither yeah. one of them wanted to be in those supposedly God assigned roles mm-hmm. for marriage. Is that what you guys experienced in your family as well? Absolutely. And that is a pattern that I've also seen where within these environments, you know, like I said, my family went from recognizing that the church they were in was not a healthy environment, thinking they were going to somewhere that was healthy and finding the IFB denomination, which is a cult. Um, I'm seeing that there's patterns of people that are searching and hurting already who maybe have a lot in their past that they're trying to overcome. And that would be where Bill Gothard's foundation of get over these basic youth conflicts and then you won't have to deal with it as an adult. So it sounds great, you know, when people are looking for answers and looking for truth, but they jump. So there's a pattern of people moving from one bad situation to another, thinking that, oh, this one is will be better or this one's right. And so I've definitely seen the pattern as well of women who are who are more dominant with the passive husbands. I've experienced that and they end up in these places and their marriages are hard and that passes down to the kids and it hurts the kids. And at the end of the day, yay, we've been married for 42 years. Mm-hmm. Okay, been miserable for 42 have years. Have you been happy? Are your children happy? No. <laughs> are you thriving? And no. They weren't thriving because one of the downsides, as I see it now, was my mom, because she was miserable. I've talked about this in other podcasts with my sister, Valerie. We did a mm-hmm. podcast a couple of years ago describing our experiences growing up in this very yeah. fundamentalist home. And what I shared then was that my mom was coming to me when I was probably nine, 10, 11 years old and unloading all of her frustrations about my father on me, which is triangulation, emotional incest, whatever you want to call it. And so I'm getting this poisonous message from my mom and it Mm -hmm. affected really negatively my view of my dad because I started looking at him with contempt and therefore Mm -hmm. our relationship ended up completely breaking down when I was about 13 and it never recovered even to the point of his death you know at 77 78 years old we never ever really had a relationship so that's one concrete example of what this sort of theology can do to a family well it it fosters that emotional immaturity that an adult would have because of their own past and their own upbringings their own emotional voids and again that's why they're searching that's why they're looking for answers and that's why cults are easy to fall into because it feels like it has those answers. It feels like it has what you need. And instead of actually addressing the core wounds, the core traumas, the core hurts that someone's experienced or the abuses, it basically says, do all these things and everything will be okay. Follow these rules, follow these principles or Bill Gothard, the 49 character qualities of Jesus Christ. Absolutely. Make sure those are in our lives and we're implementing them and we're showing them and such a focus on how we're behaving and how we're looking and doing things that everything will be okay. Right. Instead of again, getting down and addressing those deep emotional and sometimes physical needs that people have. And that is unfortunately something I'm still seeing in a traditional Christian church today is they're skipping those emotional and psychological needs and trying Mm -hmm. to focus again on, all the performance. And if we just believe this and just do that, then everything will be okay. Well, and as you say, looking the certain way too, because you described the evangelical purity culture, which is also part of the Gothard stuff. You can always tell the Gothard girls, they have the skirts on and the certain dress and the certain way they wear their hair. Courtship or betrothal. Yep. 
It's mm-hmm. all there, you know, becoming a virgin or staying a virgin until your wedding night and all the rest yes. of it. Yes. And I was thinking too, when you're talking about, you've described two kind of attributes of cults, haven't you say that people mm-hmm. tend to drop out of one high control group. And if, unless they really educate themselves and figure out what's going on on a deep level, a lot of times they'll drop into another group, maybe an even more controlling one. And yes. the other thing I was thinking about talking about fundamentalism is that it offers a real sense of these sort of prepackaged answers, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. It gives you it all does. the package, all the formulas, just, you know, slot yourself in there, conform to plug their formula. Mm-hmm. Yeah, plug and play. And you're happy as long as you do all the things right. But of course, the downside is the shunning and all the things that if you run afoul of the system, as mm-hmm. I'm sure you've experienced, because how did you mm-hmm. get out then in the end? Were you shunned and you know blacklisted from the church? Um, here comes more of a long story. Okay. <laughs> no, no, I I was married to a guy who showed up in our church one day. He did not have any similar background to me at all, other than he had moved to our city and was looking for a church. And oh, that looks like a nice church. So he pops on in and met me. Um, He chose to stay, but only because he'd met me the very first Sunday. And uh, that was a very quick, fast romance for us. It had to be a courtship, of course. Of course. And he, again, was not from that background. So he kind of pushed back a lot. And that created a lot of tension. And, but in the end, he was a little older than I was, and he had a very good job. He had his own house. And in the end, I was given the blessing to marry him. And so we did very quickly. We had a six month from engagement. It was quickly, very quick. And so we got married. And a year later, he said, we're leaving this church. It was a church I'd grown up in since I was five years old. I was in my very early 20s. And I thought I had to follow my husband to be submissive, but it went against every fiber of what I wanted. He and that church was known as Rebecca's husband. People often didn't even know his name. And that had been the church where I was, I ran VBS. I, you know, everything that every good little church girl is supposed to do, taught Sunday school, went door to door, soul winning, passing out tracks and all the the right You were in very deep, man. I could tell. I was there too. (laughs) And yeah, I would play piano for specials or to, for accompaniment for the whole church. And I would sing and I would all yeah, the things. You did everything. And so he couldn't tell you what was wrong in the church. He just knew something was wrong. And so at one point he even told me, I only stayed there so I could marry you. I knew something was wrong. And I, that made me a little bit mad. <laughs> so I, could see I was that. angry for a while, but now... All these years later, I understand that he was right. And yeah, I'm glad get out. Yeah. that I followed him. And But the funny thing was, only one person ever called and asked me, why aren't you at church anymore? And that was after a couple of months. And it was the pastor who often said that he looked at me like his own daughter. A couple of years later, maybe, maybe two years later, um, I don't have my timeline in front of me, but uh, I became pregnant with our daughter and I did everything right. I didn't gain hardly any weight. We would walk a mile every day. I avoided caffeine and hot dogs and all the things you're supposed to avoid when you're pregnant. And, and then came time for birth. 
and we were going to have a home birth. That was supposed to be the right way to do it. You had to give birth at home. You have scented candles and you have hymns playing, you know, instrumental hymns playing. Of course, yeah. And your husband reads scripture to you and you do all these things while you're in labor. Well, that didn't exactly work. And we went through multiple midwives (laughs) as soon as I was in labor it really should be like the ending of a rom-com or something. Everything that happened during my labor, ending me in the hospital for another 24 hours of labor where I had a C-section and I felt them cut me open and we finally make it home. And I felt like God had abandoned me. Here I was where my life I felt was at risk my child's life was potentially at risk. I'd done everything right. I followed all the steps. I did everything. And yet this horrible stuff happened. And I was, I remember laying there in bed with a newborn saying, God, where were you? If all of this was right, if all of this was true, then why did this happen? I did everything right. And the worst case scenario, other than one of us dying, happened. And so that is what began my official faith deconstruction. And I still remember, you know, I'd be putting an infant to bed and I would pray every night over her. But then the next morning I would wake up and be like, there's not a God. I don't believe there is a God. Hmm. And so I wrestled as a new mom, not only through you know, having, being a first time mother, but also through questioning everything I'd ever been taught, everything I believed in. And I was very alone. This started about 12 years ago and there was absolutely no resources that I could find. Maybe Google's gotten better. I don't know. But when I would Google, there was nothing. I would see counselor after counselor. Nobody could help me. Nobody understood. If you go to a Christian counselor, they're all like, well, you have to have faith in God. Just trust God. And secular counselors are like, well, you know, I don't understand the faith aspect. Nobody understood a cult-like aspect. So I was absolutely alone on this journey. I couldn't talk to people around me because they would think that I was a horrible person, that you don't, you're trusting in humans, you're not trusting in God and all the normal things that get thrown at you, all the names you get called when you start questioning your faith. And my husband walked with me. He didn't know how to help me, but he would be like, I'm here. That's all I can do for you. I don't know how to help. And so I would kind of come through seasons where I would be okay. And I would feel like, okay, I figured this out. Then another wave would come. Another thing, whether it's your identity as a woman, as a mom, or I thought family dinners with the meat and two veggies and a bread was Bible. I didn't Mm -hmm. know that I didn't have to cook dinner every single night. So all of those things would just add up and add up and add up. And I finally was not able to go to church. If I went to church, I would be an emotional wreck for the next three or four days. So my husband would, I would get my daughter dressed and he would take her to church. And then you have the whole mommy, mommy, come to church. I want you to church Mm -hmm. with me. And why aren't you going to church? Yes. What's wrong. And so then you have the conversation of, well, what mommy was taught when I was a little girl, isn't who God really is. It's not, wasn't always the truth. And mommy has to learn what the truth is. And I want to be able to go to church with you. I want to be able to be a family, but right now I have to figure these things out. So all these conversations that 
you never anticipate you're ever going to have to have and put the pretty bow in her hair and lock the door behind them and sit down in the entryway and sob for an hour because your heart is breaking because you can't even tell you, you can't even explain why it's breaking. You don't even know why. Like, mm. is it because I want to go to church because I want to be a Christian? Is it because I don't want to believe in God anymore? Is it because I feel like I'm confusing my child? Is it all of those things? And that led me many, many more stories in the middle to now being a life coach for people who are going through the same stuff. I am also a director of PR for an international nonprofit and we have over 9,000 people who have made a discovery through DNA testing that one or both of the people who raised them is not their biological parent. And so for the last two, two and a half years, that's, that was my world of working through the traumas and the discoveries that people were making and the rejection that they were having by their families. And I started seeing so many similarities. Mm-hmm. And that and I had training to be able to work with in that that world and I'd already become a certified life coach and I'd taken a break off to do the baby thing have babies be the stay-at-home mom and I was like people need help and I started looking around again for answers for myself nobody could help me and I went back and got a little more training and now I'm trying to help others because I feel like there's such a gap And I see two worlds. You have the Christian world and then you have the quote unquote secular world over here. And there's often two different voices that are pulling people one way or another. But both of those, both voices are telling you what to believe and how to believe it. And one side says, if you are going to question your faith, if you're going to have deconstruction, that means you are going to, you will deconvert. The other side says, if you have questions, that means you're a bad person and you need more theology and doctrine in your life because, you know, so they're throwing more religion at it. And both of them really, they just need to back off because part of a cult survivor, we value freedom now. We value independent thought. And it took me a really long time to trust anybody. Because everybody would be lying to me. If the people who loved me the most, supposedly, who cared about me the most, who invested in my life, and there's still people, I am grateful to them for the time that they committed to me, whether it was speech and drama or music or all of these things. I do value that and, and I respect it. But at the same time, those people who love me so much, they believed the lies and they told me the lies. So who are you supposed to believe? And so when the church and Christians or Christian counselors are pushing you one way and traditional counselors or other people are pushing you the other way, you get stuck. And so that's what I wanted to be able to come in and kind of be that middle person and say, here's what I believe now, but here's my journey. This is your journey. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to tell you that you have to believe this or you're going to do that. I can just tell you, here's my experience. Now let me help you walk through yours. We'll be right back in just a few minutes with the second half of my discussion with Rebecca Drumsta. Really fascinating stuff. It's interesting to meet people like Rebecca. Obviously, we have a lot in common growing up in fundamentalist Christianity, being raised by parents who subscribe to the Bill Gothard cult, I would say, really, today. It's not just a 
part of evangelicalism. It is a full-blown cult. And when I meet someone like Rebecca, it's really interesting to compare stories, compare notes. When we come back, we're going to talk about her journey forward, talking about her relationship with her husband and how that's really how that works in terms of her own deconstruction versus his. And this is another common thread, something I talked about with David Hayward, the naked pastor last year. You know, it's a it's a real challenge when one partner is going one direction and the other is going a different direction, especially in terms of religion. So we're going to get into that in her work as a life coach, helping people to rebuild and reconstruct. I just wanted to mention really quickly what's coming up here in the next few episodes. Look for a bonus episode with Frank Schaefer. He's coming back on the show, and we had a good discussion the other day, so that's going to drop this week, as well as the next actual episode of the show, which will come out on a Friday with Seven, who is a rapper out of Jacksonville, Florida. Absolutely amazing story. I've talked about him a little bit in the build-up to that episode coming out, so really good content. I've also talked with Paul James Caden. And so that's another episode in the pipeline. I'm also working on some other stuff. I'm going to be doing a video chat with Peter Montgomery of the Right Wing Watch. He's been on the show before. We're going to have a talk about the Jericho March that occurred just the other day in Washington, D.C. He was watching it on live stream and live tweeting through the whole thing. So I thought, what better person to talk to about this? So that's going to go up on my YouTube channel. So you can subscribe to my YouTube channel if you want to see the chat with me and Peter Montgomery talking about the Jericho March and all the craziness that went down around that. And speaking of videos, if you want to see the chat we had with Frank Schaefer on our closed Mindshift Zoom call that we hold every month, I've now posted that up on the Mindshift Podcast Facebook page. You can head over there, like the page, and watch the video with Frank. There's also some other videos, again, with Peter Montgomery, and as well as Sam Perry and Andrew Whitehead. We had two Zoom calls in the month of November, so those are also posted up on the Facebook page. So head over there and check those out. Anyway, let's get back into the second half of the chat with Rebecca Drumsta as we continue this conversation about her journey and how she's become a life coach, helping other people like me and her and so many others recover from religion, recover from a fundamentalist Bible cult upbringing. That's hugely important, isn't it? Especially dealing with the uh, whole piece of the anger, the betrayal, the loss of so much. We have to sit here and grieve, really, because we, you and I, we invested, well, our whole adult lives, our whole childhood, too, because I was raised in the church as well. I did all the same things you did, played in worship bands. I was a pastor. I was a Bible college teacher. I went to Bible college seminary. I spent all this money, all this time for what? I'm not using any of those academic degrees in my profession now, but yet, you know, I have to, I have to work through all that loss and grief and betrayal. I I think you're right too. The people didn't do their due diligence either. They firmly believed it themselves. I'm not Mm -hmm. saying they were intentionally lying to us, but nonetheless, they were passing along stuff that was not true. And we have to grapple with that because these were our parents and our pastors and teachers, people we respected, as you say, and loved. What about that? You got to work through all that too. Yeah. And again, so many people, as you mentioned before, are rejected. Mm -hmm. Once they begin to question these things, once they 
come out no matter what their coming out might be of, you know, I don't believe this anymore, or I'm going to be non-denominational Christian, or I believe in progressive Christianity, or I've decided to walk away from a traditional Christian faith. I've decided whatever you land on, whether it's the church or organization you were part of, whether it's your own family, so often you either have years of silence or rejection or you're cut off completely, or you have to be the one who chooses to walk away from them mm-hmm. because of they won't respect boundaries. They won't respect all of that. And that's where a lot of my heart goes to is, is parenting through the faith deconstruction, as well as people who have had to walk away from their family, either by their choice or because they didn't have a choice, they were kicked out, they were rejected. Mm-hmm. And I've talked to a lot of people who are in a marriage or a relationship. One of the partners is, let's say, deconstructing, whereas the other one isn't. And mm-hmm. that becomes, like you described with you and your husband and your daughter, that mm-hmm. must have be- become an issue at some point. Whatever happened to your husband, where, where, where did he end up in all this? Was he uh, deconstructing or did he double down and like dig in his heels and, you know, stay a, a staunch Christian? He was, he did not become a Christian until he was in his twenties and by a traditional definition of Christian mm-hmm. and the church where he was discipled or grew up in as a Christian was a lot more grace filled. It was a small country church. And people remarkably were a lot more open to other ideas. He was a Yankee and he'd come down to the South. And so they kind of looked at some of his stuff, all those darn Yankees, you know. Yeah, he wouldn't fit in there. He was from Buffalo, you say. He's a Buffalo Bills fan, so he definitely wouldn't fit in Texas, would he? Yeah, but they embraced Mm. him. They accepted him. And Mm. So his, his understanding of Christianity, now one thing he will tell you, and he will tell anybody who asks him, he had never, ever heard of child abuse until he became a Christian. Mm. He said it was not something that was ever, he said, I've never heard stories of it. And now he's like, it's rampant everywhere, everywhere. in the Christian world. It's and so true. that was one of his biggest shockers was whether it's girls I grew up with who came forward later about stories of abuse in their homes or by church leaders, things along those lines. And so that still shocks him today. Why within Christianity and we could, whatever label you want to put with it, whoever that includes, whatever denominations or faiths, Christianity, it's still much more rampant. And I hear people even today saying, I would much rather put my kids in a a public school than a private or Christian school any day, Mm -hmm. just because of statistics like that. And so I will be honest with you and say, my marriage has really suffered. It has been hard. He was not as steeped in all these beliefs. Um, What made us, we thought compatible was the family who did disciple him in his new faith was a Bill Gothard family. And so he'd been taught as a new Christian that these were a lot of the good principles and beliefs Mm -hmm. and values to hold. But yet again, he, he's a scientist and he's very intelligent. So he was able to see patterns and see different things that never actually added up. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it has been a huge, huge form of conflict in our marriage. And it's, it's not always pretty. It's always worth it. Sure. But 
we, we battle through. And there are many issues with, you know, women's role in the home. Even if you're not raised in a Christian home, they're still societal. They still tell you how men and women are supposed to behave in our society mm-hmm. based on your cultures and based on things. And so some of it, you're fighting, you know, years from your own family, like how, well, my mom always did this and the men did that and the de- you know. So you're fighting against not only what you were taught in your faith, but also what the culture around you has taught. And so being a mom, I'm really glad I'm a mom. I, I, when my daughter was little, I thought I had to dress her up perfectly every time we left the house because that's what we had to do. You Mm -hmm. were an ambassador for Christ and for homeschooling and you had to look perfect. And when she was like, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not that person. She's a free spirit. She's very independent. She's very strong. And we don't know how to do that, especially with girls from within fundamentalist Mm -hmm. backgrounds. And it has been a challenge and it's a lot more work to allow your children to be who they are instead of Mm -hmm. giving them these perfect little yeses and nos and you do this and you do that, allowing freedom for them to explore their own ideas, their own personalities and creativities and bents. It takes a lot Mm -hmm. more effort for the parents. So sometimes they say, oh, now I get why there's all those rules. Yeah, it makes sense. It's easier for mommy. (laughs) It is. And your neighbors think, oh, what a well-behaved child. And aren't they just wonderful? Mm-hmm. And they must be such good people because their kids are, they look good and they sound good. And, so well-behaved. But all the stuff that goes on behind closed doors, yep. the, bru- the bruises, the the anger, the screaming, the all of those things that nobody else sees. Mm-hmm. Well, you mentioned you've used the word cult in the description of churches and fundamentalist churches in particular. Mm-hmm. To what extent would you say that an evangelical or fundamentalist church fits a model of a cult? Because I've gone around and around on this issue before. You would say, okay, well, something like Scientology or the Way International or the FLDS, these are clear cults. They meet all the sociological definitions of a cult. Mm-hmm. But a church, no, no, churches are not a cult. But yet, I'm um, I'm thinking while you're describing it of Stephen Hassan's bite model. So you've mm-hmm. got behavior control, information control, thought control, and emotional control. All mm-hmm. four of those categories fit everything you and I have just been describing. So that puts mm-hmm. us in the realm of cults or groups with undue influence. What would be your take on looking at a church and saying, yeah, it fits these cultic sort of patterns? And that is one of the like you read at the very beginning of the podcast, that's one mm-hmm. of the things I want to educate people on is how to look out for those places. How do we watch out? And I believe that a church can easily become a cult in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Not every church is going to be a cult, but many of them are. I believe a family can become a cult into sure. themselves, a business Uh, There's many, many ways that cult behaviors, how people handle political situations. I was going to say, we've been seeing four years of the cult of Trump, as I see it. You know, that's a cult. And there's (laughs) been many, many political leaders, Mussolini, Hitler, uh, Kim Il-sung, Kim Jong-un. They they are running a political Mm -hmm. cult of personality in North Mm -hmm. Korea. Stalin did it in Russia. So this is nothing new, is it? No, no. It's nothing new under the sun. And yes, the story is old as time, but 
you have to be prepared. You have to be educated. You have to be aware. And the more I'm going into this, the more stories I hear people saying, how did I not know that? How did I not realize that that pastor's behavior, that Sunday yep. school teacher's behavior? Or, and I so a lot of it, it is understanding yep. within a church, so much of it has to do if you're different or if you ask questions, how are you treated? So if you go against, you know, in the church I grew up in, we had to wear culottes, which are basically long skirts that are sewn down the middle, but they're still very poofy. They're very mm -hmm. big. And we had culottes on hand. If any girls showed up for the youth and they were wearing pants or they were wearing shorts that were too short or skirts that were too short right. so that you Spare could give culottes. them, you would give them this pair of culottes Imagine so that, that they would look okay. Well, that would be a huge red flag. Because, yeah, oh, you don't do look it. like we think you're supposed to look like. And the moment you walk in our doors, we're modifying that. Right. And not so allowing anything, right. any sort of change. Anyway. So, yeah, right. that so would that's, be a, that's the behavior control piece, isn't it? Yes. External yes. behavior. you got to look a certain way and act a certain yes. way. And if you step out of line, then you're going to be someone's going to come down on you for it. Yes. And we had families that would visit the church where the women would wear pants and Another woman would walk up and say, if you come back, you can't wear pants here. And so, again, if somebody is instantly right away, you see things or within a few weeks, you start noticing that people are trying to change how you look or change how yeah. you're behaving. That would be a really big sign. That's a big um, indicator. So now I kind of have red flags. Any church I go into, I will instantly, I feel like I can spot the people who are hypocrites very quickly. Mm. And, but one of the, the, the questioning of things, are you able to go and talk to the leadership about your concerns? Is there an environment where it's okay for you to come and say, you know what? I don't agree with that. Can you please explain to me? Or we were hurt by this. Let's talk it through. Is there this absolute, you know, us for and no more was a term that was used a lot. And mm -hmm. that meant if you don't agree with us, you're out. Is there that sort of environment? Is there any sort of worship of a leader? We've seen it even in recent times. I mean, just the last couple of days where the pastor from Hillsong had, has now stepped down. Well, there was a lot of celebrity worship going on. Pastors oh, yeah. are not supposed to be celebrity worshiped. Like, mm -hmm. so, and I know I've even been seeing a lot of that call for pastors to be ordinary, normal people again, <laughs> not these you know, and I saw that though, the pastor that I grew up under was a very energetic, magnanimous, uh, mm -hmm. eloquent man. And people would come to church just to hear him speak. Mm -hmm. And even the church that my family's been in recently in the last, you know, two years, that people come just to hear him. And mm -hmm. that's not right. Our family's not involved that in that church. Yeah. Our family's yeah. not involved in that church anymore. And that is one of the reasons because I began to realize they're not here to learn or to serve or to even just hang out with each other. They're here because they want literally, they just want to touch the hem of his garment. Hmm. They, they just want to be, want to be and, yeah. They want a yeah. selfie because he was a yeah. celebrity already before he had this church. And so a lot of it is that, are they there to worship the man instead of learn more about Christian truths and being able to serve one another or serve their communities. Mm -hmm. So there's a huge list that we could get to, but I think those yeah. are some of the big ones that you would qu quickly notice. Yeah. If you see any of those symptoms, signs, tactics going on, 
you should, yeah, the red flag immediately should go up, mm -hmm. run, do not walk to the nearest exit, get out. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm curious now to find out how do you deal with people with religious trauma, religious trauma syndrome? What's mm -hmm. your experience in helping people that have come out of these high control groups as well as cults other than maybe Christian churches? Yeah. Again, each person is so individual and everybody is peeling their onion in a different place. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the basics when you start with anything is realizing that you were raised in a cult. At first, you have no clue. It took me years before I would say that IBLP, Bill Gothard, even the Independent Fundamental Baptist Church, it took me a long time before I would say they were a cult mm -hmm. because I had to deprogram. So, so many times people come and they'll say, I just know something's wrong. Or I've questioned this and now my family doesn't want to talk to me anymore. And people, again, they don't usually say, I was in a cult. I need help. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, it's not the not first the thing they say. No, you have to no. admit it. And it took me a long time to admit it and realize it. Years, really, of talking about Gothard. And then the more I started studying cult psychology, I was like, holy shit, man. <laughs> yeah, that was my life. I was raised in a cult. And that was a big revelation to me. And then it, it became clear. Now I've got to go do all this work. Because now this is how you deal with someone who came out of a cult. So that's yeah. the journey I've been on. And like I said, I see the two sides of it. And within the Christian realm, there's so many people who, who want to say, well, they are false Christians or fake Christians to begin with, or they mm -hmm. all of these, again, name calling and shaming and blaming and uh, shif we've seen shifting it. all of it. And I'm, and they're like, come back to the church and read your Bible again and do all yeah. of these things. So the illustration I like to use is if you knew a woman had been assaulted, would you ask her to go sit down at Starbucks with the man who assaulted her and just have coffee? No, trauma. you never would do that. And so that is the level of trauma and abuse and confusion and hurt that people are going through when they realize that they've been lied to. Or even when someone in church leadership has severely harmed them, either physically or emotionally. And even people who are still within the church, I'm getting story after story of just I can't believe this pastor did this to me, or now my kids are hurt because this mm. program was canceled and we were the leaders and nobody even consulted us, but we were so invested in it. And so whatever your story is, how, you know, whatever it is, just jumping right back into it and telling people to do that, that's not a good tactic because again, it's like asking to sit down at Starbucks with the man who hurt you. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like having a life coach, somebody who's kind of that anonymous person. I, I don't know your church. I'm not from your church. I'm not invested in one denomination or another. It's a very, it's more of a freeing space that you can talk to. I've been there. I've walked through it before. And so often people will just start talking and that's all I needed. I just mm -hmm. needed to say it all out loud to somebody who wasn't going to judge me or think I was crazy for questioning my faith or questioning, do we spank our kid or don't we? You know, mm -hmm. so usually when you go there, people are scared or, or what about intimacy? Like I was, I, I was taught this or I wasn't taught a thing. Yeah. Where do we go with that? And you feel nervous asking those type of questions or even buying a book on okay, well, within a marriage, is this okay? And so you find a book and you feel embarrassed just to buy a book about right. it. And so talking to somebody who goes, it's okay. 
I asked that question once before. It's okay. So being willing to ask those hard questions and not judging yourself for them. I don't think God judges us for asking hard mm-hmm. questions such as, do you even exist? Yeah. Are you even there? And again, these are my beliefs, but I don't think God cares mm-hmm. because for me, it's about the truth. It's not about and even raising my own child. Now I'm not trying to indoctrinate her. Yeah. It's not my job. to. I, it's my job to live out a life that I claim I believe. But it's not my job to make sure she's memorized every jot and tittle of every single thing yeah. that she has to journey, believe. General yes. path. Okay, so I've got one last question for you. You've got a lot of resources. How can people find you? Where do they get a hold of you? What's your website address again? My website is RebeccaDrumsta.com. It's the old Hebrew, R-E-B-E-K-A-H. Mm-hmm. Rebecca Drumsta, D-R-U-M-S-T-A. RebeccaDrumsta.com. I'm on social media. You can find me on my website and there's a, a form to fill out if you want to get in touch with me there. And you've got a lot of articles. I've, I, like I said, I've read a lot of your stuff on your website. It's really helpful. Some of the Thank stuff you. that I was thinking, my God, we have a lot in common when you were describing having this uh, childhood of, of a, being terrified of your mother walking around. She was so angry all the time. And I'm like, yep, that's me. So <laughs> I thought I definitely need to talk to Rebecca. So thank you so much. Mm-hmm. I've really enjoyed chatting with you. We'll come around again and have another chat maybe at some point. And if we get some good feedback and response from it, we can talk about some of the listeners' responses. That might be a good sort of topics to cover. Absolutely. I love it.